0: welcome everyone this is that record got me high. i'm rob elba and uh it's great to have you all here with us again so uh without further ado i would like to welcome to the show i have a guest uh calling in or zooming in i guess we're zooming in all the way from columbus ohio let's welcome to the show mr david lewis aka lowercase dnl welcome to the show david Thank you, thanks, Ron. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. And uh, David sent me a little. Well, actually, little. He sent me a missive, but I'm going <laughs> to give you the short version. Uh, he's a journalist. Well, he's, he's done a lot. He's a journalist. He's a musician. Spent uh, a bunch of time in Austin in the late '80s, early '90s. Right? You co host I saw you co-hosted a local television show there
1: called Knee Jerk. Knee Jerk. Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. And, uh, now, um, and now, and now you. It was a Cisco and Ebert of rock. Journalism.
0: Oh, okay. So instead of uh, Siskel and Ebert, it was Nietzsche. Mm-hmm. And uh, now he owns Elizabeth's Records in uh, Columbus, Ohio. Elizabeth's. And that's named after your daughter, daughter. I believe you said? it's well, named after my former band. That's nice. And uh, how's the r- record store business these days? <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good. It is good, um, right? Vinyl, I mean, people uh, love records again. Go figure.
1: Well, we've We've had probably the best year ever last year. And I have to say that while a lot of people were driven to ruination with the epidemic or pandemic, rather, uh, it was actually a pretty good bump for the record business. And uh, we had the fortune of having our discard store ready before that happened. And all of a sudden, I'm just making tons and tons and tons on discogs. Oh, so, look at you! And then we're open weekends, and there are no shows to compete against us. No festivals or whatever on the weekends, so our weekends have just been crazy good. So wow! So people, uh, so
0: everyone's suffering basically, but you're uh, you're doing good. So that's uh, <laughs> that's good. That's all that matters. <laughs> no, it, it's nice to hear someone's uh, doing well.
1: People. That I'd rather have back. I know, but... I know. Uh, <laughs>
0: but that's good. That's great to hear, though that you're that you're thriving and you're doing well, and uh, that's awesome. And you brought a record that I would guess a lot of people, unless you're like a hardcore fan, may not even know about or heard about. So, what is the record we're going to talk about today?
1: It is the fifth album by the Fleetwood Mac. It's called Future Games. Yes
0: future games and uh so this is we're talking 1971 right and so this was the first one to feature christine mcvee right um the second
1: actually she appeared on kiln house but she was not an actual member yet okay so this is the
0: first full as a full member and the first also of uh Bob Welch. Bob Welch, which I had no idea. And then the first of five albums with Bob Welch. I didn't know they did five Uh records with Bob Welch.
1: Yes, they did.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So this is, it's interesting because obviously uh, most people know the, you know, later version of um, Fleetwood Mac with, uh, you know, Stevie Nicks. Lizzie Buckingham. Uh And then people know, oh, but they were like a, a blues band originally, you know, they were, they were a blues band for a long time, but this is kind of like, not either. Right. This is kind of like the mid that, because this is after the the blues band. Right.
1: Yeah. um, Bob Walsh was the replacement for um, Jeremy Spencer and uh, um, they were noticeably shifting direction away from just pure blues uh, they kind of saw it as an opportunity to to kind of grow and then they came to realize with this album that they were actually more popular in the United States than they were anywhere else in the world those five albums that he was on that's some of my favorite stuff uh, it's hit or miss but this this was the best one it's a really
0: um, great record, and i've I've never heard I never heard any of it before. I never heard it, and I've been listening to it this week. But it is it's a really great record. So, real quick, beautiful. he so Bob Welch replaced Jeremy Spencer. Just real, uh, you obviously know the story. Tell us the story. What happened with Jeremy Spencer in the band? Because it's it's kind, of, <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of crazy. Um,
1: Jeremy Spencer was an interesting guy. He he was a a very religious guy. Even before the things that happened happened, but uh, apparently he had a really bad experience with um, uh, uh, what do you call it? That that mes, mes- or uh Mescaline, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, had like uh, religious experience, and they were touring uh, in California, and they just played like four nights at the uh, Fillmore West and uh, they had a uh, earthquake it wasn't a huge earthquake where you would remember it but it was a uh, bad enough earthquake that it furthered his religious frenzy and when they went to uh, l.a after that uh, he shared a room with with mick fleetwood and mick said that um he he said, "I'm going to go out and get some magazines out at the newsstand, and then like five hours later, when they were getting together for the show, realized that he hadn't come back." He yet. never
0: came back. He went out to get magazines and never came back. And he ended up joining the uh, Children, of, Children God. of God.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> so that's uh, yeah. So they were like kind of in a lurch in uh, in 1971. They had to get uh, so they auditioned. Uh, they were auditioning for guitar players and they ended up with Bob Welch. I guess he was recommended by a friend of the band. Uh-huh. And, um, they had some, I, I, I read that they held a few meetings, but they decided to hire him without actually playing with him. They just heard like his stuff. They heard a tape of his stuff.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, they invited them. They, they lived communally in a house in the country, uh, First, in Kiln House, and then they bought their own house uh, out in the country. And it was big enough that they all lived there for a while. And, uh, hippies. They invited Such hippies. To, to come and hang out. Yeah, this was in England. Yes. They had hippies in
0: England, right? Pardon? They had hippies in England, too, right?
1: Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Very much. But uh, he, Bob Welch was in France. Uh, he had some history with France, apparently uh, moved to Paris and was playing with a soul band uh, called Head West, which um, probably was better than Head East. Uh, (laughs) Right. (laughs) But uh, some accounts say that, that, you know, after three days, they decided, yeah, know, who's going to work on. And then some say that, that he was a member as soon as they talked to him on the phone, right? So,
0: right. Yeah. Um, well, so he he definitely him him and and Christine McVie definitely you know were were part of what sort of brought the the band you know change you know changed their style mm-hmm. a lot and what was going on. Would you? I was interested in you. Like, were you a Fleetwood Mac fan before this, or is this when you become uh, you became a fan of them? When did you become a fan I, of Fleetwood Mac?
1: Well, here's my history with Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> um, if we're about the same age, you you probably remember late Friday night, uh, sneaking out to the living room and watching rock concert. Yes. Okay. That was me. And I got in trouble for it often. But one of the shows had that, uh, it would have been 74, uh, had that version of Fleetwood Mac with, uh, with Bob uh, Weston on the guitar with Bob Welch and uh, so that was my first impression of Fleetwood Mac was seeing them with Bob Welch as the lead singer okay Um, I was lucky enough to grow up near Rochester New York which had a great uh, underground rock station and they played hypnotized by by Fleetwood Mac all the time so I knew going in you know I knew some things Um, My love affair with Future Games began in 77. My Uncle Bob, who is about nine years older than me, uh, he would always kind of let me confiscate his eight tracks. Uh, They weren't quite, you know, as precious as his LPs. Right, right. And uh, I took this Fleetwood Mac because... Uh, I liked Fleetwood Mac, so I started listening to this on eight track. The only place I could listen to it was in the family truck, the pickup truck.
2: Yes,
0: my first but, car had an eight track player in it too.
1: <laughs> we didn't have one in the house, right? So I would sneak out to the to the truck and run the battery down a little bit. But um, it just so happens that my love affair with this record began in '77, and my first concert was going with my uncle Bob. Uh, At the time, we lived in Las Cruces, New Mexico, and uh, we went to El Paso, Texas, and saw Fleetwood Mac on the Rumors Tour, and that was my first big concert.
0: Oh, okay, nice. So you... Yeah, okay. So you... um, all right, so what is it about this record for you? Because I, I, I could see... First of all, I feel like it has some recurring themes like like time is a theme in the record, right? And it's sort of like yeah. apprehension towards the future, like what's coming in the future, uh, you know? And, and so the whole future games idea, it's kind of... It, it it I also feel like it has like a kind of a haunting quality to the whole record. I don't oh very know, much. Right? So. It it does. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So that's
1: not just me. Well, no, it's not. It's it's me as well. It's it's a very don't take it the wrong way, but kind of a spiritual album. Uh just like in terms of some of the guitar playing and stuff and the way the songs evolve and the way that it makes me feel. I, I gotta be honest. There's been times when I cried just thinking about some of these songs. Really, and I've listened to the album so many times that it's ingrained in my head, and I can just oh, okay. you know I can pull up you know give me a smile, the last song on it by Chris McPhee, you know, and, and it'll calm me down. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. So this record has literally been with me most of my life, and it's it helps me get through some really shitty times sometimes just kind of brought things back around and felt made me feel more in control of things. Well, that's great.
0: That's great to hear that. Um,
1: And um, yeah, so just not to,
0: before we get into the record and start listening to it, not to bring you down, but I found a, Rolling Stone, proving once again what what garbage Rolling Stone is. But you've you've probably seen it. They called the album thoroughly unsatisfactory and referred to Christy McVie's voice as surprisingly weak and emotionless. And this is the worst. Mm -hmm. And for Bob Welch, they said, his talent appears to be notable only for its lack of uh, distinction. Right. That's like, what a shitty review. And uh, (laughs) yeah, I I, I don't get it uh like I said because it is a it, it is a pretty great record and so the guitar player th- at this point was Danny Kirwan right so and yeah. and he and he also uh writes some songs and uh he does his songs and Bob Welch, but they do so it's really like I have no idea who's playing what but there's great guitar playing on this record you know okay. and, and uh interplay between the two guitars is great yeah um
1: Danny Kirwan actually goes back to 68 with the band and uh, the album then play on, which is probably their most notable uh, blues oriented one, you know, with Peter Green. Uh, He was the other composer. The album didn't have Jeremy Spencer on it at all, except for two little bits of piano. Um, So he was already pretty established as the, other songwriter. Um, With this album, it was the first time that Fleetwood Mac had three strong songwriters. Right. Because Chris and and Bob and Danny. And they all had an equal footing on this album. And what's (laughs) great about this album is that they merged together very well. And they early on they worked well together as they were going on Danny became more erratic and hard to get along with and uh, the album after this Bear Trees which was recorded just months later after like a US tour I don't know if you're familiar with that album I am not but it's much more scattered and there's like you know Danny wrote half the album Oh, okay. and Bob only got a couple of songs and it, the songs are all shorter. Some of them are haunting and beautiful, but overall, it, it just lacks the focus that this album inadvertently has. Right.
0: Yeah, and it's funny, you say inadvertently, and, and I think you're kind of right, because I think it, they kind of just sort of stumbled on it because they they were kind of, I mean, they obviously needed to bring these people in because they, they needed material for, uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and all right, so before we get listening to it, I just also want to mention... I feel like he's not mentioned with great drummers but Mick Fleetwood his his drums really throughout Fleetwood Mac his style mm-hmm. is so distinctive to him and the way he plays and it, and it's subtle so it, it's obviously not flat it's the opposite of a flashy drummer but right. the way he lays off the cymbals and just his snare sound is just so, oh, it, right? it, yeah, it, it, it it's so him. <laughs> and the yeah, between him and uh, John McVie, that rhythm section is just like, that is a Fleetwood Mac. And it kind of proves yes. it because they're the uh-huh. constants, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and another neat thing about this album, they produced it. Um, but right, actually I saw the that. The first album's. That Martin Russian uh, worked on. I saw he that. was an
0: engineer, and he's like did like yeah. uh, uh, the, the Stranglers, Stranglers. Buzzcocks, <laughs> and Human League. Yeah, that's crazy, right? So he must have been yeah. really young when he when he was engineering this. Um, yeah, th- that's awesome. All right, so let's get into the record. This is side one. Starts out with a psyched- vaguely uh, psychedelic tale, right, of a mysterious woman. Let's listen to a little bit of uh-huh. "Woman of a Thousand...
1: You aren't crying yet, are you? I am I I'm always a little overclimped when I hear that you song. Get just, <laughs> All um, right. I'm sorry.
0: I, I I won't tease you about that anymore. Um yeah, it is. Well, it's beautiful and it's got those acoustic and it's drenched in the reverb. It almost could mm-hmm. be it sounds like a Crosby st- Stills and Nash song or something. Like it could be yeah, that.
1: It's been described as being very West Coast leaning, which yes. is interesting considering that they weren't at all west coast at the time
0: right 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 Um,
1: what's interesting to me about it is that the original credits listed the album or listed the song as being eight minutes and 20 seconds when it's actually five minutes and 36 seconds oh wow
0: yeah that's weird
1: and what's neat about that to me is i never disbelieved that until i found out otherwise oh you just assumed okay the song's eight minutes long (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, it has such a, a spaciousness about it um, that that it felt like it could be that long. And they m- mixed up the times on several of the songs. The next song we're going to hear, "Morning Rain," they have listed as six twenty-two, is actually five minutes and something. Um, so I don't know what it was about this album that they did that. Uh, um, yeah, but, that, that's interesting. Maybe um, they were.
0: They maybe drugs came into it. Maybe it had something to do with that. <laughs> Perhaps
1: it, it, it kind of bothers me to think that there could be three more minutes of "Woman of a Thousand Years" out there that I haven't heard. Oh God,
0: yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So speaking of uh, the next one, so now Christine McVie comes into play, and I feel like this is definitely a preview. Of what's to come for them, you know, their shift from the blues rock to the uh, pop rock that, you know, that they became more known for. Um, right. Still a really great song. Let's listen to a little bit of oh, it's wonderful. Morning Rain. I feel like her songs on this record are the more hopeful, you know, everything's yeah. going to be all right songs, type
1: songs, right? That That's true. And uh, I have to admit, I like her stuff on this album better than anything else she did after it. I think that, that well, she's got two of the songs that are outright hers. But she's such a minor, I mean, such a major contributor to all of the songs. If you listen, uh, like you were saying about Mick Fleetwood, she's right in there with the keyboards and the organ and stuff. Right, right, uh, right. But, yeah.
0: Yeah, it, and, and just the it, vocals, like the singing all together, the way, uh, it, you know, their voices meld and the uh, guitars going on in there. It's just, it's really good stuff, you know?
1: Yeah, and I mean, you listen to that song, And you go, well, that's Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Right, right.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And, and, uh, it's funny like uh, like I said I think a lot of people I mean I'm sure there's people that know oh yeah future games but I think a lot of people are just going to be like what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because uh I mean I guess so this was more popular I guess it really wasn't that popular uh in where they're from in England UK but this no. was more popular cuz you could hear it it does they sound like uh, like they're from uh, California.
1: In a way,
0: right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, mm-hmm. there's more, more of that than uh British sound, I think. Yeah. And and now we have. All right. So here's what I said before about them needing material. This is an instrumental <laughs> that they just kind of uh, like a jam they did that they did to fill out the record, basically. Right.
1: Yeah. Well, the record company rep said we can't put out a record that just has seven songs. Right. So, you know, they were like WTF and they went back in the studio and jammed for a while and and threw this song together. (laughs) All right. Well, (laughs) it it actually sounds, you know, parts of it are really good. And like at the beginning, I'm just waiting for a song to come in. Yes, exactly. I did too.
0: And then I said, oh, okay, it's an instrumental. (laughs) All right. Let's listen to a little bit of What a Shame. just kind of a jam. All right, so uh, uh, who is that playing
1: saxophone? That is Christine's brother, John Perfect. John Perfect. Christine Perfect um, became Christine McVie when she married
0: Now, all right, that's something I wanted to ask you because this is something that confuses me. If your name's uh, Perfect, Christine Perfect, why would you change it to McVie? Why would you take your (laughs) husband's name? That's an awesome
1: name. Well, there, there is actually a legal reason for that and that is that uh, like Fleetwood Mac up to a certain point, they were signed and managed by a label called Blue Horizon in in the UK um, and they separated from that label but they had toured with Chicken's Shack and when uh, they did that, that's how Chris and, and John met and it's actually kind of a contractual type thing because she was still signed with Blue Horizon and uh, she wanted to join Fleetwood Mac. Oh. And so it made sense to just say Christine McVie. See, you had
0: an answer. I was just making a joke, but you actually did have a good answer for that. That makes sense. Okay. Hey, well, I know my result. shit. <laughs> you did your homework. Alright, so mm. now we get uh, one of the epics. I would say there's two legit epics on this record, and this is the first one. And uh, yeah, mm. I, I gotta play more than one part. Let's, I'm gonna play two parts of it, definitely, because uh, but it starts out this is uh, so Bob Welch this is a uh, bob Welch's song and mm-hmm. this one it, to me it almost feels like a dream um okay. right uh-huh. and and it's got that lush uh, it reminds me of almost a pet sounds uh vibe at the beginning of it you know and then it morphs into something else but uh let's listen to a little bit of the beginning of future games <laughs> Ask you, huh? what was the thing he d- he did last night
1: Um he got stoned and had a <laughs> conversation with some friends about how you can control your own future
0: Right um, Okay that's good yeah basically. That makes sense.
1: Uh, yeah you know it, it's like you know you control the future you know games <laughs> it's like and uh I I really buy into a, a lot of what he sings here.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, this is uh, like I said, this at is all part at of the, the end of-, of the theme, right? Of of the theme of the record, and it's also, <laughs> but it reminds me of like you know when you're just lying in in bed at night and you have all these uh, thoughts, neurotic thoughts about the future and what's going on with the future, and this is kind of like a uh, kind of like a, a calming view of that, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's kind of, I don't know. (laughs) But when I was 15 and I was listening to this over and over again, it really spoke to me. Um, Because when you're 16, you're really just kind of figuring out, you know, hey, the future, you know, it's, it's more than just, you know, you're growing out of childhood and stuff.
0: Right. So this yeah. is a real this is a real eight minute song. So listen to it a little bit later in the song. You get more of that like Brian Wilson-ish bridge and uh, it's just it's just awesome. So let's listen to it a little bit.
1: I, more. I just want to point out good. Did you notice Bob's guitar parts? that the kind of like answer the other part? Um, to me they sound like Tal Farlow. They sound um, like what? I'm sorry? Tal Farlow. The jazz guitars. Oh, I
0: don't know. I don't um, know who that is. Uh, Barry's not on a, a Barry's not here anymore, so <laughs> I'm sorry. I I, I, but
1: um, he, you could tell that he was in oh, okay. the jazz. Oh, okay. The way the guitar sound is. And that, that actually helped me get into guitar music more. Oh, okay. Uh, by what they, they did.
0: Right. All right. Let's listen to it. great sophisticated uh, guitar stuff going on there
1: oh god yes and you know we didn't we didn't quite get there but the end of the song it just builds up to this really powerful ending where I you know, know so yeah, yeah when he keeps repeating on the whole album
0: I know I'm not the only one he keeps repeating that yeah right. And yeah I could picture you a 15 year old you saying yeah you're not the only one I'm there with you
1: <laughs> yeah but I was also inspired by the kind of slow burn at the end of the song. It just builds up to this, uh, I don't know. It's a wonderful ending to a song. I mean, it's just, you know, it makes it kind of uh, glisten in your mind for a while, just kind of stay there. It, um,
0: yeah, it, it does, and it's really it doesn't feel like an eight minute song. It's one of these songs that just it, every every bit of it is needed in there, and it's uh, and that's why I said it's like an yeah. epic. And it almost reminds me of like a Radiohead thing. I can picture Radiohead listening to this and getting inspired by something like this because I sort of feel <laughs> yeah yeah. Now I was gonna ask you what else, what other music were you into at this time when you were into this? What other stuff were you getting into?
1: Well, um, 1977 was what I call the Prague summer um, because I was really getting into the groups that would kind of stay with me my whole life, Uh, notably King Crimson, Gentle Giant. Oh, okay. Um, You know, and and the, the frustrating thing about King Crimson at the time was that they'd broken up three years before that, and uh, Robert Fripps hadn't reemerged yet. <laughs> so it was like this lost hope of, you know, King Crimson being this thing of the past. But, you know, I was I was just learning everything. I mean, it was Steve Hillage and uh, just all these different things that... I, I had the pleasure of hanging out at this record store uh, there in Las Cruces called Budget Records and Tapes. It was like a a small chain of stores out of Denver. And uh, this this gentleman, John Smallwood, uh, was the manager of it. And he was kind of a mentor as far as music goes. So all of a sudden, like, you know, I'm going from listening to, to Kiss and April Wine and whatever to to listening to Soft Machine. And, oh, right, uh, right, right. You know. <laughs> and so that, that summer is this kind of, Everything was blowing my mind,
0: right? And, uh, <laughs> yeah, but know. that's so you were a, a prog kid. But that's interesting because this isn't—I, uh, it's uh, definitely not Prague, and it's definitely more emotional. I feel like, and more you know, uh, music as emotion than I feel like a lot of prog, Although I know a lot of Prague people say, "Well, there's emotion in Prague too," and I guess there is. But, oh
1: yeah, yeah. There but is. I, I will, I will point out that you know, since you don't know me. <laughs> Um, I have never been just one kind of person. I mean, I you know, I went full throttle into punk rock and uh, I never left anything behind. I just right, kept right. going and kept going and so the the person that was out there, um, you know, thrashing of the dead candies or something was also enjoying orchestral maneuvers in the dark. so it's it's kind of like, you could never carve just one thing for me. I was, yeah. I've well, always been all of
0: the place. Same. I'm kind of the same. And I, I would say a lot of, most people that are really into the show and like the show, that's, that's our, that record uh, got me high jam. You know, that's our vibe. Huh? <laughs> Anything and everything. This episode of That Record Got Me High is brought to you by our patrons. What is Patreon? Patreon is a platform that makes it easy for you to support things that you love. How do you support the show? Just go to patreon.com forward slash TRGMH. Pick a membership level and become a patron of the show. It's fun. It's, well, I don't know how fun it is really, but uh, it really helps out and we appreciate you and we have special patron curated episodes and we send out newsletters and uh, it is fun. let us I'm just going to go on record as saying it's kind of fun. So uh, go to patreon.com forward slash TRGMH and become a patron today. That's awesome. All right, so let's, uh, <laughs> the record gets flipped over or the A-track, I guess the A-track does the little click, click, click where it goes to the next it track. awkwardly. fades in and fades out. Yeah, fades Very in and deep. fades out. Towards
1: um, the end of Future it's, it's, <laughs> Oh, okay, okay.
0: It's, it's so annoying. It was so I know it was so awkward. I had scary. so many. I had so <laughs> many eight tracks too. It's so funny. Um, all yeah. right. So this is a really pretty uh, birdsish. You have like a. Bird, it reminds me of, with, with the twelve strings on this one. Definitely reminds me of the birds a little. And this is a um, a Kirwan song again, and uh, let's listen uh-huh. to it. Uh, also, I would say kind of an epic, too. And it's, this is a beautiful, for me, this song, I mean, it's just so, I don't know, let's listen to a little bit of Sands Time. magic of a black and night can go so far but not seem right although my love will drive away the sunshine the magic of a black and night and before you go show me all the words of love this is a really great song and i'm wondering do you think um that like uh, these new people came in and um bob walsh comes in and danny kerwin kind of feels like oh i have to step my game up a little and you know yeah right i mean i i think that's what happens when you get you know uh, you know other good songwriters and great musicians in a band, they kind of Uh force everyone else to sort of uh, step up, you know?
1: Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. And I think that that that's definitely a part of it. Um, If, if you're familiar with then play on the first album that he was on, he contributed like literally half of that album. Um, So he was already pretty strong, songwriter and he's very young he was 18 when he joined the band oh wow uh so he's only like in his early 20s here so you know you it's very much like a young man finding his way through life now it's it's kind of hard to to reckon with all that once you know his story after the band yeah right But, (laughs) but i will say at this point you know he he was peaking as a songwriter as a singer uh, very beautiful voice
0: oh my Um, god yeah I I just want to play a little bit of this another part of the song the the chorus like the second half of the chorus he just soars it's so mm -hmm. beautiful yeah let's listen to a little bit of that And again, it's, it's so easy to forget, but that you hear that rhythm section of Mick Fleetwood and John McVie just underneath everything. And it's just like, it's so, they're just, it, 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 it just wouldn't be the same without them, you know, and they're such a big part of it, but it's so, they're so good at, at being understated where you don't realize it until you really think about it and concentrate on them.
1: And it, it bears for deep listening, Cause like if you listen to it, you know mixed part, he does this little thing with the symbols. It's like
0: yes, 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 right, right.
1: <laughs> and it's just so amazing to me. And uh, he's always been one of my favorite drummers and music personalities. Like I said, I saw my my first big show was was Rumours, and he had this whole big part of the show where you know it was very show offy, but you know the drum solo part of the show is usually the part where you fall asleep. Um, you were, there was none of that at this show. Oh,
0: okay. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's just, I can't even imagine seeing them on Rumors,
1: uh, seeing Fleetwood Mac on a Rumors tour.
0: That's thats thats pretty cool. That's pretty awesome.
1: Well, wait till you, I tell you what my second show was. Van Halen on their first tour of the United States in 1978. Oh, nice. Yes. Wow, <laughs> so, look at that. So, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like I've had that kind of life where I got to experience things like that.
0: I know it's true. Oh. Same. I, I talk to young people and I tell them like shows I've been to doing. Oh my God. They just, they can't believe it. So yeah, it's true. Thank God. Cause who knows if there, there may not ever be any shows anymore. So, um, <laughs> all right. Mm. So now we have another Danny Kirwan song. This one definitely country rock straight ahead, like a uh, country. I would say. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then more of the time theme, I think. Uh, you know, but maybe more yeah. of the past. Maybe seeing more about the past now. Let's listen to a little bit of Sometimes.
2: Sometimes I get to thinking about the times we used to have
0: So, still great, but definitely a different sounding. But somehow the record manages to be like a cohesive record together. Even though oh, yeah. on paper you would think it could just be a mess, you know, like a hodgepodge of all these different things and different genres. But somehow it all
1: works together. Yeah, no, this one definitely does. Um, like I was saying about bare trees, it's it's very much like the sound of a band fracturing apart. Um, oh okay. And it was, it was recorded only a few months later. So this is a band that found harmony, you know. Right. They found, I mean, the guitars to me royal rock was was probably at its early cresting in 1970, 71. Um, and you you can't help but hear the influences of Dwayne Allman and um, Oh yeah, you know, right.
0: For sure, Different for
1: sure, rural rockers, you know, it was before you know, became Leonard Skinner and crap like that, but uh, you know, it, it was a very strong thing. And you know, you said Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young at some point, right? Um, they were definitely an influence. I mean, they were probably as big as the Stones at that point, so yeah, I think, I think Kerwin was reaching out to some of that he was also just going through a lot of stuff right then he was becoming an alcoholic his home life was pretty horrible so that he's finding any peace in these songs is just an amazing thing and you know kind of a gift yeah
0: all right well that's cool And now, uh, (laughs) now we get Bob Welch again, and this is the most rocking song on the record, I would say, right? Yeah, Um, it's also
1: very Fleetwood Mac ish. Yes, yes,
0: it is for sure. Uh, All right, so let's listen to a little bit of "Lay It All Down." Let me retell a story I know about a man named Moses. Now, <laughs> let me ask you this: You, all right? So you said you you did your homework, you came prepared. I could not find the answer to this. Was Bob Welch a
1: Jewish? I <laughs> I don't think so. Um, I don't, don't think, think so either. But, that, yeah, that he was a Hollywood kid. Um, his parents. His dad was a movie producer. Right. He,
0: which which made me think, well, maybe they were Jewish then. But I could not. I tried to look for his dad. Believe me, I went down a Google rabbit hole. Is Bob Welch Jewish for like for like two hours and uh, did not come up with the answer. But I was just wondering because it's like sort of, um, yeah, uh, talking about the story of Moses and kind of using it as a metaphor for just sort of, you know, uh, laying down, you know, your your sorrow and your hurt, lay it all down because there's paradise right here on earth.
1: Um right. yeah, but I, I was wondering.
0: And also I did not realize that Bob Welch had such a, a tragic end.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes, he's one of what they call Fleetwood Mac's lost boys. <laughs>
2: and, oh and yeah, you're right. If
1: you look up in, in uh Google, I noticed one of the things was uh did did Fleetwood Mac kill people? Oh, right. <laughs> I, I pressed on that just to see what the hell they're talking about. Right. And it was basically a rundown on the different members of the band that had died. And, uh, well, I,
0: I don't know. I mean, there's something about a band that has been through that many different members. I mean, someone, Ooh. someone in that uh, rhythm section is not easy to get along with. I'm, I'm guessing. Yeah.
2: <laughs> right.
1: Um, I, I, you know, I mean, it was always pretty much mixed group. And uh, I don't think he, you know, uh, would deny that. Uh, You know, McVie's right there too, but he's more low-key than Mick. Right, right. So, but the thing about Bob that hurts me the most, you know, because I never met him, but I love the guy. And it's just unfathomable to me that he isn't in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a member of Fleetwood Matt. Oh, right. And yeah, because he was that on that five. Story. Yeah, he was on five albums. I know, and it totally broke his heart. I mean he he didn't kill himself because of that. He killed himself because he had some major physical issues, and he didn't want his wife to have right. to uh, right care for him uh, in his decline, but.
0: That was yeah that's uh, a, another reason why Rolling Stone is shit garbage. Uh yeah. yeah, terrible. Yeah, that is terrible. I did actually read about that and that was yeah, wh- I I don't get it. I don't get it. Um all right, but we end luckily the record ends on a really nice happy moment. Uh you know, um a a little wisp of an album closer from Christine McVie, right?
1: Uh-huh. It's and- pure Zen. It, it,
0: is. it is pure zen and you got again like you said before her piano through this whole record is is great and the piano uh, a guitar interplay going on here is just yeah. um it's yeah it's really good so let's listen to the final track here it's called show me a smile Obviously, it, it it sounds like it, it's a mother maybe singing this to her son. Show me a smile. Soon you'll be a man, my little one. Uh, so have fun yep. while you can. But uh, I guess uh, Christine McVie, like Stevie Nicks, never had any children. So right. uh, do you think she's just taking on a character here or maybe she's singing it uh, to someone else? Um, maybe she's singing it to yeah. you, David.
1: <laughs> She's definitely singing to me. Oh, okay. Uh, Mystery you know, song. Said that that I mean, it was it was to John to some degree. I don't know. It's it's just such a beautiful song that I don't ever think about how it came to be. I'm just happy that it is.
0: Right, right.
1: Um, you know, and the the whole composition of it is just like a self answering riddle. Uh, the way it just kind of moves away and comes back together and. You know, it's just one of the most amazing songs, but yet it's so simple.
0: Right. It's uh, very simple and subtle, but it's a really great uh, one to close the record. Um, uh-huh. And yeah, uh, like I said, this whole record, I could see, I mean, the way you said that this record had a profound effect on you, I could see that. I really can. Just me listening to this record and I say, wow, this is just a little, because it's 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 uh, short, you know, it's got a couple of the long songs, but there's only eight songs and it's just a little snapshot of something, um, I don't know, special, like something really special going on there, right? Yeah. It's just
1: been with me my whole life uh, since, you know, since since I was aware of it. Um, and it comes and goes all the time. I mean, there are periods where I just listen to it and listen to it. I You know, I remember like 10 years ago we were out in uh, – on the West coast in Seattle area. And we had a rental car and I had brought my own bunch of CDs and one of them was this one and we were just out driving around and my wife always falls asleep when we drive Uh, and my daughter was asleep and my niece was asleep. So the record, the CD ended and I just let it start over again. And it actually went like three times while we were driving. And and I was fine with that. Yep. There's not a lot of records that, even ones I love, where you know I can't listen to to Red by King Crimson three times in a row, and you know not right not want to move on to something else. But it just has that that way of crawling into you and kind of being comfortable there. Right. All mm-hmm. right.
0: Well, that's awesome, and uh, I'm really glad you brought this record to us. It's one uh, a surprising, definitely a surprising record to do, and that's what we're all about. So, <laughs> D- David, thank you so much for that. So, what? So, if, if someone wants to look into any, I mean, uh, I don't know, do does your record store do uh,
1: mail order at all, or? Yeah, uh, we have a heavy Discogs presence. Oh, okay, uh, we're we're on Instagram and we're on Facebook, and we do do mail order. Other than And uh, discogs as well. Okay. So what's Um, your what's your Instagram and your Facebook? What are the? uh... It's Elizabeth Records on Instagram, and then it's Elizabeth's Records on Facebook.
0: Okay, Elizabeth uh, uh, with a Z, right?
1: Yeah. All right. Awesome. Also, Rob, if I could, I wanted to dedicate this episode to uh, the music critic Ed Ward who is an acquaintance of mine, he passed away recently. Um, He probably should have written that review instead of the knucklehead that they had for (laughs) Rolling Stone. Oh, okay. Um, Because I I, I think he actually liked this album. But uh, Edward passed away recently, and he was just like a mentor to all of us rock writers. And uh, I just want to put his name out there and say that he'll be missed.
0: All right. Well, nice. Cheers to Ed. Uh, cheers mm-hmm. to him and thanks. Uh, yeah, thanks so much for coming on, David. Uh, sure, thanks yeah for having you, me. This was great. You're a great guest.
1: If you, got, if you want me to, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Maybe some other record that made you cry. I'm kind of uh, <laughs> disappointed that you didn't that, that you didn't cry at all. I don't think you did. So I'm a little disappointed for that. But well, may, maybe next time. I recently
1: time. discovered that that there's a, a actual thing called oversensitivity, <laughs> and I've I've had that my whole life. Oh, really? And, okay. Yeah my you know i have depression in, in me and all that stuff that I've, yeah. I've dealt with all these years okay but i recently saw a documentary about it and i couldn't even watch the whole thing because i was too sensitive about it but <laughs> all these years i've had people say well you're too sensitive right and you know it's like well well damn i guess I yeah. so, <laughs> okay but you now know, you have
0: but, a thing we oversensitivity. okay well that's but that, if I that's fine
1: can give some life advice don't Ever, ever be afraid to cry for something beautiful. Some songs just do that to me and, and it's okay.
0: That's great. You know, that's
1: what music is for. Yes. Is to that's great advice.
0: That's actually great advice. Uh except yeah. like something like red hot chili peppers. I I wouldn't be crying to red hot chili peppers, though. If you do that, you should you have a problem. You may have to go to a a therapist or something. All right. So uh <laughs> thanks again, David, for coming on. Sure. Don't forget, guys, um you could check us out on Instagram and Facebook at at That Record Got Me High. Also, that Facebook group Got Me High. Um, On Twitter, it's at TRGMH Podcast. You can email me at TRGMH33 at gmail.com. And don't forget, Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash TRGMH if you'd like to and uh, become a patron. We're actually doing, we're planning another uh, patron-curated episode coming up. We're actually have a poll on there right now uh, for people to pick what the uh, what the theme will be for the next one. So
1: that's fun. Um, I voted for live album.
0: Oh, okay, nice. Uh, yeah, so we'll see what that is, and I hope you uh, contribute to it. Uh, definitely do that. When, I'd be uh, happy
1: to. All right. You awesome. know where I'm at. <laughs> yeah. All
0: right. Thanks again, David, and uh, thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you next week. <laughs> all right.
2: That was really good, David.